you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. This morning as I start my sermon together with you, I want to show you a picture. And uh, you might not get it at first, but as soon as you get it, it's a joke that's a picture. So as soon as you get it, raise your hand. Now, if you're at home, um, first of all, don't spill your coffee when you raise your hand. And, and second of all, we can't see you if you're raising your hand. So um, whatever, do whatever you want. But if the person next to you is just smiling and nodding, I can't see them smiling, but if they're just nodding like this and they clearly don't get it, then you'll have to explain it to them. But this uh, is the picture. <laughs> Someone starts to get it, right? Okay. Yeah. Three famous rocks. Chris Rock, Kid Rock, and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Rocks. Now, rocks as a whole seem to get a bad rap in the English language. When you think about how we use rocks in everyday language, some of our idioms are just, are just crazy, right? We verbally abuse rocks, okay? That person, oh, they don't care about me. They're cold and unfeeling. They're unthinking. We say that person has a heart of stone, right? Oh, yeah. Now, if you're in a place where you have to make a decision and, and, and you have to choose between two things and they're both terrible decisions, you feel like you're caught... Between a rock and a hard place, there you go. If you have trouble what's fig figuring out what's really going on, or like you're kind of one of those people that you didn't get that joke and you just smile, then we say that that person is dumb as a box of rocks. Maybe that one's not so common, right? When you start to bring change to a group of people who don't want to change, people say you're doing what to the boat? You're rocking. The, that's a different use of the word rock, but that's okay. You'll forgive me. And when you reach that moment, when it feels like you just, things cannot get any worse than they are right now, you have hit rock bottom, okay? Rocks. I've been thinking about rocks a lot this week. And, and in our passage for this morning, Peter had rocks on his mind too when he wrote this letter to the believers that were scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He starts out by talking about how great our God is and how great our salvation is. And we sang some of that this morning, how great our salvation is. But he also said, because we are the ones who've tasted this salvation, we have this eternal life, we're different from the world around us. And they notice that. If we actually live according to what we believe, we're going to be different. And they're going to notice it. We're strangers in a strange land, and some of them are going to be upset with us. Some of them are going to mock us, ridicule us. We might even be persecuted for it. And so Peter warns believers that this is, this is just normal. This is what it means to be a believer in Jesus. It definitely means that life will not be easy, even if there's no outright persecution. I mean, come on, compared to Christians in other parts of the world. But it definitely means that life will not be easy for us. There will be difficulties. And yet Peter assures us that those difficulties are not going to last forever. It's just the pain before the healing. It's just the dawn before the morning. It can't compare to the joy that's coming. That song's been in my head this week as well. 
And so for the last couple of weeks, as we've been in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's been using this metaphor of a family. God has chosen us to be his children and adopted us into his family. Verse 4 of chapter 1, God has an inheritance for us. We are the richest people on planet earth because we're kids of the king. Uh, verse 15, God chose us to be his children. Um, the children that you have biologically, <laughs> you don't get a choice in those. Um, as foster parents, we choose. We choose them. So in some ways, that's even better. Uh, Verse 22 of 1 Peter, we're supposed to love each other like brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know how well Gus and Sawyer do at loving each other as brothers and sisters, but that's how we're supposed to love each other. And then verse 14 says we're supposed to obey God because we're his children. And so the same way that you're supposed to obey your parents, children, um, you're supposed to obey God because you're children, all of us. So that's the metaphor, God, God's family. And then he switches up the metaphor here in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he starts talking about rocks. In verse 4, Jesus is a living stone. In verse 4, Jesus is the stone chosen by God. In verse 5, all of us are living stones. In verse 6, Jesus is the cornerstone. In verse 7, Jesus is the stone rejected by the building. In verse 7, he's also the stone chosen by God. verse 7, he becomes the capstone. In verse 8, he is a stumbling stone. So there's a whole lot there in just these five verses. So when I was kind of looking at these verses back in November and kind of planning to preach 1 Peter, I thought to myself, I want to take some time to go through these. So we're going to take the next couple, two, three weeks to go through these five verses together. And so this morning we just want to focus on verse 4 and 5. It says, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. So there's a couple of things that I want to just draw out for your attention this morning, some truths from Scripture that will help you in your life. First of all, the first truth that we always want to affirm, and we always want to make sure that we're saying this, is that the true church is built on Jesus. That's the first thing that Peter says. If it's a true church, it's going to be built on the person, work, teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what marks it as a true church. Now, that's a little intriguing to me because I have brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a whole arm of the church that claims that the true church is built on Peter. They use Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 18. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. They use that verse and they claim that Peter is the head of the church, and that every head of the church follows Peter in an unbroken line of succession all the way back to Peter. And yet here, in 1 Peter's letter, written by Peter, Peter's going, um, Jesus is the head of the church. You come to Christ, who's the head of the church. A true church is never built on anything or anyone other than Jesus. It's not built on Martin Luther. It's not built on John Wesley. It's not built on William Booth. It's not even built on Menno Simons. These godly men would all agree. The true church is built on Jesus. Now, to be sure, Peter did not invent this idea. This idea goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Before Jesus even was incarnated on earth, God had it in his mind that his son was going to be the cornerstone of the church. In Genesis 49, Moses references the shepherd and rock of Israel. 
In Zechariah chapter 10, God says that he's going to take all the bad leaders and he's going to replace them, not with good leaders. He's going to take all the bad leaders and he's going to replace them with the Messiah, the cornerstone from Judah, Zechariah 10. Isaiah 8, Isaiah 28. The idea is like scattered all through the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures. Israel is looking forward to their coming Messiah, and one of the metaphors that they use throughout those scriptures is the idea that the Christ, the Messiah, will be a rock, a stone, chief cornerstone. And so when Jesus comes along, he deliberately places himself within that metaphor, and he says, yes, I am, I am the rock. Sorry, Dwayne Johnson, Jesus is the rock, And he applies the imagery to himself throughout the Gospels. He quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, in the parable of the wicked tenants. Um, Some of you have that called the parable of the evil farmers, but I know too many farmers, so it's the parable of the wicked tenants. That's that's what it is. And, and, And this is what he says as he quotes Psalm 118. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Jesus says that. I'm the stone that the builders rejected. I am the chief cornerstone. And it is so revolutionary a claim that it actually irritates the religious leaders. And and that's part of the reason why they killed Jesus. It's because he's making these crazy claims. If they were not true, they would be blasphemy. But they're true. The true church is always built on Jesus. And if you go to a church that is not exalting Jesus that is not proclaiming Jesus, that's not preaching Jesus, that's not teaching you how to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is not teaching you about how Christ in you is your hope of glory. If you're going to a church where Jesus is not the foundation and is not mentioned all the time, then find a different church. Because that one is building itself on something other than Jesus. The true church is always built on Jesus. Now, the second thing we see in this passage is that the true church is always rejected by people. Because it says that of Jesus, right? First Peter uh, 2, verse 4. And one of the difficult things for people who come to faith in Jesus, particularly as adults, is, is to recognize that this new belief that they have, instead of people celebrating the fact that they've turned their life around, people start mocking them ridiculing, rejecting them, and maybe even persecuting them. Just on Saturday, I read a Facebook exchange between a a friend of mine who's a pastor and and another person, I don't know if they know each other or not, if it's just a Facebook collision, but the other person was an atheist. And so my pastor friend is just, he's trying to get his point across and yet still trying to be nice about about it. You you ever feel like that on Facebook? And and the other person just has no such restrictions. And uh, this atheist's responses were just dripping with sarcasm. Here's some of the things he said. I'm sorry that you have such an infantile belief system. I feel bad for you that you blindly cling to your outdated mythologies. One day we will get rid of all the Christians and their phony belief in a made-up God. Wow. So the world's going to reject us. The world is going to reject us. It's just, it's a mark of being the true church. But what's even worse is how sometimes people of faith reject each other. You know, it's really strange to me when I read the Gospels how often Jesus is talking to people who are already believers. 
Like there is very, very few times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus is talking to Gentiles, where he's talking to Romans, where he's talking to non-believers. He's talking to Jewish believers. He's talking to people who believe in God. He's talking to people who believe in, in the first 39 books of our Bibles. They believe them to be true. He's talking to people who follow Moses. He's talking to people who believe the Hebrew Scriptures. These are not atheists. These are people who have a form of religion but are rejecting the power because they're rejecting Jesus. And may I submit to you that same idea. That if you're really going to start making Jesus your cornerstone, if you're going to start following Jesus, if you're going to make him Lord of your life, if you're going to start saying, Jesus, no matter what, I'm going to follow you, no matter what the cost is, one of the unanticipated costs just might be your own family, your own friends, and maybe even your own church. See, religious people hate Jesus. Law followers hate Jesus. Legalists hate Jesus. Much of the church hates Jesus. Oh, they won't say that in so many words. It's that they're going to try and get you to build your faith on something other than Jesus. Build your faith on your own works. Build your faith faith on your own rational thought. Build your faith on this list of rules or make up your own list of rules. Build your faith on what we tell you to believe. And they'll look at you and they'll say, oh, yeah, it's fine. Like, as long as, you, like, that's how you start out in faith is believing in Jesus. That's what we teach to the five-year-olds, okay? But once you believe in Jesus, then you got to start taking charge of your own walk. And you got to start, like, like, walking in this way, okay? It was fine to believe in Jesus when you were a brand-new Christian. But now it's time to add in all these works, all these rules, all these laws to your walk of faith. Jesus was an okay starting part, but now... Now you have to follow our rules. You know, you think about that parable of, of the wicked tenants. And it's really interesting how it ends. Because after Jesus tells the story, Matthew says this, when the leading priests and Pharisees heard Jesus tell this story, they realized he's pointing at them. That they are the farmers in his story. They are the wicked tenants that kill the son of the landowner. Wow. Jesus faced the most rejection and the most persecution in his life from religious people. And if you follow him, you probably will too. Since they persecuted me, Jesus says, naturally, they're going to persecute you. And if they'd listen to me, they'd listen to you. John 15, verse 20. So take that to heart. But please let me also add in this really, really important distinction, okay? Because I've met Christians. <laughs> and sometimes I am that Christian who is arrogant and thinks that he's better than everyone else. And if you have that approach to people, if, you, if you're sitting in judgment on them and, and, and you're always right and they're always wrong, if you're puffed up and harsh in your attitude, that's on you, okay? That is on you. They are rightfully upset because you're being a bit of a jerk, all right? But if they are really upset with you because your faith is genuine 
And by you having a genuine faith, it is exposing the falsity of their beliefs. If they're upset because of that, that's normal. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. He was rejected by people. You will be too. Please, please do not compromise your faith in Jesus in order to keep your friends or your family happy. Just don't. Just follow Jesus. One day, I promise you, it will be worth it all. You know, Jesse had seven sons. Seven, seven sons. And when those six older brothers looked at their little brother David, you know what they saw? Shepherd boy. Go, go look after the sheep. Only God saw a king. Only God saw a king. And so I want to say this to each and every one of you, no matter where you're at. God had a purpose for your life long before the world had an opinion. Follow that purpose. Don't worry about the opinions. The true church is built on Jesus. The true church is persecuted. The third thing that we see in this passage is that the true church is living stones. Living stones, that's an interesting metaphor. Now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. Now you know that the opposite of alive is not dead, right? Those are not opposites. Because something that is dead was once alive. They're not opposites. The opposite of alive is lifeless, without life. That's the opposite of alive. Without vim, without vigor, without vitality. And we are surrounded by people in this world who are lifeless rocks. And only God himself can take lifeless rocks and turn them into living stones. That's a work that God does. In fact, Jesus says to the Pharisees on uh, Palm Sunday, he says, I'll tell you the very truth, that if the people keep silent, then the very stones themselves will shout out my praises. Luke 19, verse 40. Here's what I need to encourage you with. See, once, once you may have been that lifeless stone with a heart of stone, maybe a forehead of stone, you were once just a worthless rock. You were. But then God comes along and he spots you just lying there in the rock pile and, and he picks you up and he dusts you off. And he says, I think I can do something with this stone. I can do something with this. And he breathes his life into you, and he turns lifeless stone into living stone. By his grace, through your faith in Jesus Christ. What a marvelous miracle that is. God does that over and over and over again. What a fabulous transformation. But here's three things that you really need to know about that transformation. The very first thing that you need to hang on to all the time is that this is God's work. This is not something that the stone does, okay? This is what the master mason does. He's the one that picks out the stones and says, hey, I'm going to make something phenomenal out of these rocks. You couldn't do that. You didn't transform yourself. You couldn't and you wouldn't. Only God could do that. So don't start taking credit 
for what God is doing in you. Stay humble, little pebbles. You did not earn grace. God is the one who is building for himself a temple made out of living stones like you and I. Only God could build a temple like that. Only God could take ordinary lifeless rocks like you and me and transform us into living stones. Only God. From start to finish, living stones is the work of God. That's marvelous. Point number two is this. If you're a living stone, you have no right to reject other living stones. If God is the one who's building his temple from living stones, the stones themselves have no right to tell the master builder which stones he should use or where he should place them or which ones he should reject. Truth be told, from a stone's perspective, all of us are kind of useless. People are the worst. (laughs) None of us on our own is fit to become part of a temple that God is building none of us. Earlier I talked about an arm of the church and and a belief that they have. Please don't hear that I'm rejecting because some of the most amazing Christians that I've met go to that church. I'm talking about the theology, not rejecting the stones. See, all you need to do, little nugget, (laughs) is just keep being a living stone. Like, allow me to alter the metaphor from the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians talks about us being vessels. And in the master's house, there's vessels of different kinds, right? In the temple that God is building, there's different kinds of rocks. Some are jewels. Some are granite. Some are marble. Some are limestone. Some hold up the walls and the archways. And some adorn the dais. But all of the stones are necessary You know, one time Peter looks at John, right? And Jesus is commissioning Peter, and Peter looks at John and says, Lord, what about him? What about that guy? (laughs) I just love that, right? Jesus is trying to do something serious here, and Peter's like, well, what about John? Like, we all do that too, right? And Jesus just smiles, this enigmatic smile, and he says to Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me, John 21, 22. That's pretty solid advice for the rest of us. Let's not spend a lot of worthless time comparing what kind of rocks we are with other kinds of rocks. We have no right to reject other living stones. Let's just leave that up to the master mason. Let's just leave that up to the builder. Let's just let that be the architect's idea, not ours. Let's just focus on being the best living stones possible. You follow me. And then here's the third part that God wants to drive home for you this morning, and it is this idea. You need to be part of the church. You need to be part of the temple that God is building, this spiritual temple. You can't just be out there on your own. You need to be part of the temple that God is building. Whether you're a giant boulder or a little pebble, you need to be part of the temple. You have no purpose out there on your own, just a living stone sitting on your couch in your living room, sipping on bean dust and hot water, just following Jesus all by yourself, never interacting with other people, never letting anyone in, never allowing yourself to become part of a group that just might hurt you. If you think that you can be a living stone all by yourself, 
You cannot. You need to be part of the temple that the master mason is building. You need to be part of the church. And like, <laughs> I totally get your point. I, I totally understand where you're coming from because, man, I, I get it. I have, I have been hurt by the church like I have never been hurt by anything else. Like when I was 17 years old and Nadine Laraway broke my heart, that was nothing compared to the hurt that good church people have inflicted upon me. I have a pastor friend who messaged me this week and he was hurt by his former church and he left ministry for a little while and now he's back in ministry and he's getting some counseling and he's got a pretty good church. I think they're loving him right now. But he's putting together a book of stories of pastors who've been wounded by the church, wounded by God's people. Within our own congregation, we have that. We have former pastors who've been hurt by the church. There's so many out there. So I get it. I totally get it. Especially with all this COVID stuff, right? It's just easier to just sit at home and not let Jesus make you a living stone and just, you know, like, just sit at home and not connect with anybody else. Especially, especially as men. Like, you men, you need to get out. You need to get visiting people. Okay? I, I, I get it. It's so it, you think you can just have Jesus make you a living stone but choose not to participate in the building of the temple. <laughs> you can't do that. But I get it. I mean, who needs all those hypocrites in church, right? So much of the church really just seems to be slag, <laughs> rejected stone, useless, maybe good for picking up and throwing at each other, but that's about it. I get it. I get it. Church is going to hurt you. Now, here's the thing. God's building a temple with his living stones. That's what he is doing. And so his purpose for you, his purpose in saving you, his purpose in finding you and picking you up from that pile of rocks and forgiving you and breathing life into you, his purpose is to put you into his house, is to put you into his home, to put you into his temple. This is his lasting legacy. You are a living stone with a purpose. And that purpose is to be a part of the temple that God is building. You need to be part of the church. You need to be part of the church. Whatever that looks like for you, where you're at right now, you need to be part of the church. Because it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about us. And it's about what God is doing in us. God is building us. All of us together into his temple. Together, he is making something out of his living stone. First Peter, you, you're coming to Christ, who's the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. I'll invite you to stand with us as we close our service.
in singing this morning.